0: It is a privilege. And over the past uh, opportunities I've had to minister here, and I'm grateful for every opportunity, we were looking at the life of Joshua. We looked at some of the events in Joshua's life, and hopefully we learned something from it. And what I'd like to do now, uh, when I'm invited to, just walk very gently through John's Gospel. Not um, chapter by chapter. RT could do that. I'm not equipped to do that. But just to look at the seven signs in John's Gospel, the seven signs in John's Gospel that point, signs in Scripture, signs and wonders are signposts, they point somewhere. Where is this event pointing to? And of course we know they, they point to the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ we find that John tells us why he wrote his gospel. It's in chapter 20 verse 31. But these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him you might have life in his name. So everything that we read or look at from chapter 1 to the end of the gospel, that is John's Purpose in writing this gospel. That's why he records what he records and gives us the insights he gives us there. That these things are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing him, you may have life in his name. And it may well be that you're not a Christian. And may I just say, you're most welcome to join the church and be here. Lovely to see more people coming in and singing and entering in. A little bit of clapping, a little bit of movement. We're getting back, aren't we? which is very encouraging. But we would like to think that as our ministry in the church continues, that you might indeed believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you might have life in his name. The Bible's full of life. People think, oh, the Bible, it's all, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. Now, there are certain things that Scripture tells us we shouldn't do. But let me tell you, there's more things telling us what we should do, more positive, more joy and more faith than you could imagine. So even if you're not a Christian, please, I do hope you'll listen and hopefully we can help one another. So let me read to you. I'm going to look at the first sign, which is the turning of water into wine in John chapter two. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus's mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Wow. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they fill them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants that had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This is the first, notice this please, this is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed in Cana in Galilee. Thus he revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. So the purpose of this miracle was not just to save a wedding from disaster. He did do that. But the whole point of this tremendous miracle is that he, in that he revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. And that's what we'd like to do as we look in Scripture. We'd like to reveal God's glory and also encourage us to put our faith in him. Now, when although this is the first sign or the first miracle that John records, that this was not the first time that a declaration had made as to who Jesus was. We find that John the Baptist, on seeing Jesus, you'll know the famous words behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world and he identifies clearly that Jesus was indeed the Messiah and then later on we have one of the disciples Nathanael. Um, Nathaniel he comes and it's in chapter 1 verse 49 he says Rabbi you are the son of God you are the king of of Israel, Nathanael, Jesus had by revelation told him what he was doing, although he had not been there. And because of that, Nathanael comes out with that great statement. So prior to this miracle, it wasn't that Jesus had just suddenly turned up and performed as a miracle. He'd left the carpenter's shop. He'd met John the Baptist who declared who he was. He'd spoken to Nathanael who was now one of the disciples and they had declared clearly who he was. But he was now going to perform what John calls, perform, forgive the word, uh, a sign. There was a miracle that was going to take place. Now, this story falls into two parts. I tried to make it three, but we'll go with two because of the time. First of all, there's the social event. This was a social event. Secondly, there were some spiritual encounters that took place here that were life-changing. The social event is very simple, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. I put in my notes, the VIP guests. You know, the VIP guests. Whether other people thought they were VIP guests or not didn't really matter, but they were there. So there was Mary, there was Jesus and the disciples, and this wedding. Now, I'm told that weddings in in the Middle East at this time could last for seven days. (gasps) Imagine doing the okie koki for seven days or whatever you do at weddings. I haven't been to one for a little while. But you know, for seven days. And of course, that Jesus turned up with his disciples, so the numbers altered. I'm told that whole villages would be invited to weddings over seven days. If I was on the catering team, it would be very hard to just work out how many sausage rolls you needed and how much wine on an occasion like this. But they ran out of wine, a very natural, very simple thing. Catering was not sufficient for the day. And it says there, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, Jesus, they have no more wine. This very practical problem, very ordinary problem that maybe has happened in many weddings where the catering didn't quite come up the standard, Jesus was invited to get involved. Now, in scripture, there are three in the New Testament, there are three Greek words for miracles or signs. The first one speaks about um, the presence of divine power that produces faith in it. Well, we can see that definition certainly fits here. And the emotional astonishment and amazement in something that God does. And thirdly, startling and strange phenomena. Well, again. Water turning into wine was a miraculous and strange phenomenon. May I just say this? I've neglected to say this in the first service. This was not the first time God turned water into something. If you go back to the book of Exodus, we find there in Exodus chapter 9 and verse 9, God turned the water of the Nile into blood. So this wasn't the first time God had shown his power in turning water. Sadly, in Exodus, it was judgment, it was a curse, it was part of the the plagues that came upon Egypt that they might release God's people through Moses and let my people go. And so this now, we have the exact opposite to it. In Exodus, we have the curse, we have plagues, we have judgment But now, God is going to turn water, not into blood, but he's going to turn water into wine. One brought sorrow, the other brings joy in this marvellous and miraculous way. Well, the story continues. We find the encounters take place. Jesus said to them, they have no more wine. Verse four, he says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. Now, again, the NIV says, dear woman. Some of your v- versions will just say woman. And of course, at first reading, that sounds like almost he was rebuking her, you know? But Mary is called woman on several occasions throughout scripture. Again, um, they're down here. I haven't got time to go through each of them. But it's dear woman. And in that, the NIV is helping us understand that Jesus was not saying telling her off or rebuking her. He says, dear woman, you know, what? why are you involving me? You see, I think the encounter for Mary here, this was probably one of the most important days of Mary's life. Because I think in those words, you know, they have no wine. What's it to do with me? I think what was happening there, and if you don't agree, please, there's no dogma here, you know, I think what she's saying is, your time has come. You see, up till this, for 30 years, she'd been Mary's boy. In the carpenter shop. Joseph had obviously passed away. Jesus, being the eldest, was leading the house, and she turned to him to solve the domestic problem. But I think she's just saying to him now, come on, it's time. Maybe she'd heard what John the Baptist had said, that the clock had ticked round and the alarm had gone off. And it was time for Jesus to leave the carpenter's shop and to begin ministry. Maybe it was time for Jesus to step into the miraculous and to show people who he was by the demonstration of these miracles. And I think it was going to be not Jesus and mum from now on, it was going to be Jesus and the Father. And I think they change roles. Again and again, we see in the New Testament, it just says, my father and I are one. I only do what my father tells me. And I think if in Mary's heart, there was probably a bit of a release here. You know, I've had him for 30 years, but I've got to let him go. That spiritual encounter for Mary, an encounter with why she was called. Those Christmas story where she hid these things in her heart. When she went with Joseph when he was a boy up to the temple and he stayed behind and he said, why do you look for me? Don't you know I must be about my father's business? And Mary did not feel she was in competition to the heavenly father. When the Holy Spirit came upon her, it was she was told, you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. All, I say all that she was, that sounds not sufficient, but forgive my English. All that she was to do was to care for him and to teach him and to look after him till this day came. Well, he said, what's this to do with me? Basically saying, you know, is it the right time? And one commentator said, this was Mary who was more aware of God's timing than even Jesus was and just gives him a bit of a nudge. says, come on, you know, you know, who you are. you've already collected some disciples. you know that John the Baptist has said he must decrease and you must increase. You are aware of what Nathaniel has said. Come on now, you need to go to, I can't say the next level because God doesn't have levels, God is God. but here's an opportunity for you now. to what? What does it say at the end? To reveal your glory. Let people see, who you really are. And in fact, having him said, you know, to her, my time has not yet come, his mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I, it's almost like she ignored him. You know, he said, oh, I'm not, it's my time has not yet come. Another commentator says that in her words, the father released him. And when she said the words, he knew it was the time had come. So that gentle nudge, that almost saying, look, come on, Whatever he says, you do it. And the whole purpose is to reveal his glory and that the disciples might have faith in him. Well, that's the, that's the uh, social event. What's he going to do? Well, he looked around, didn't he? He looked around. And it was very simple when he looked around. Um, we've had the wedding, the seven guests. We've got the crisis in the kitchen. We have Mary's encounter with him. But then we find that there's a problem. Where do you get the wine from? Was he going to send the disciples down to the off-license or to the local vineyard? No, no, he looked around. And he saw there in that group six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Okay, so it says... Uh, forgive me, holding about. So I've called them 25 gallons. I've split the 20 to 30, multiplied by six. I think, listen to this, Lyndon Bowering had enjoyed this, 150 gallons of wine. I just got to have a drink of water. Water. That was some Provision. But what I interest me is this: is the place that this, the miracle came from. He didn't go around looking for golden goblets. He didn't say, "Bring me all the containers that had wine in, and we'll refill what was there." No, no, it wasn't. Well, where? Are the, forgive me. Where are all the empties? I can fill all the empties. No, no. He looked around, and he saw earthen jars. You see, friends, it's not what the outside looks like. It's the inside. Now we live in a world where people are very concerned about the outside. How do I look? My image, you can tell from looking at me, I'm a fashion guru. I am I'm under contract to... No, I'm not. Um, you know, but people want to look nice. People, what we look like, the fashions and the latest and everything else. You know, and that... but. God doesn't look like that. You may be a very wealthy person, very educated here, and just sitting two metres away from you is someone who's not. Let me tell you, when God looks at you, you're both earth and jars. You could be a multi-millionaire or you could be broke and God doesn't look and think, oh, I'll bless that fella oh, that woman because she's... Not at all. We are all earthen jars. In fact, in First, in Second Corinthians, it tells us that it says that we are um, earthen jars. Second Corinthians four seven. We have this treasure in jars of clay, to show what is the all surpassing power that is God in us. So we are earthen vessels. So whether you look a million dollars. Or whether you just put, you know, please let me cheer you up. It makes no odds to God. Six stone jars, all the same, and all of them were going to be used in this miracle. Very important. And that follows through. Where all through our ministries, I'm an earthen vessel. You're an earthen vessel. You, you, you show, you know, in me. The scripture says, in me there is no good thing. I admit, I, I wouldn't argue with that because I know the truth about me. There is no good thing. Anything good in me, Jesus has put there. God has graciously given me in that way. It's he owns it, not me. So the set, this jars are there. He looks round and he comes to the then the servants. He said to them very simply, um. He said to the servants, fill the jars with water so they fill them to the brim. I'm sure you've heard someone preach that God's not short. You know, he wants full blessing, fill you to the brim. And there are some preachers that do 20 minutes on that, fill to the brim. But what I think is saying here is this Jesus wanted the wedding to have the maximum amount of wine possible. God doesn't skimp. God doesn't go short. He, they needed wine. He was going to make sure they got as much wine as they needed in that way. God is, God is generous. God is fulfilling these things in that way. So it said, fill them with wine. You fill them to brim. And then he told them to draw out and take some to the master of the banquet. Now, these servants really had to, well, they were told to do what Jesus did. Mary said, do whatever he says. Do you know, the only thing that might be s- s- between you and a miracle, and I don't know what that miracle is, and I'm certainly not going to make some auto-suggestion here, is this, obedience. I should have said this earlier. Mary said, do what he says. And it may well be said, well, I'm praying for this, and I really believe in God for this, and the rest of it. And God said, well, just do as you're told. Why don't you do as you're told? I've asked you to do something and you won't do it. You want me to do something for you, but you won't forgive that person when I've asked you to. You know, obedience. You want me to perform a miracle? Yet, yeah, when was the last time you read my book or you spoke to me on your own? We face challenges all around. And these servants did what they were told. Mary said, do whatever he says. And they did it. I wonder what they thought. They fill it with water. Then they say, well, put in a jug, I'll say jug, and a ladle probably, take it out and take it to the master of the banquet. So well, we're not going to take it, what, water? The first reaction is probably, you know, well, we've been told what to do. It's not our doing. And in it goes, and there he goes. Here you are. And the man tasted it, and it turned into the best wine of the day. When did the miracle take place? Did it take place when the jars got to the brim? Is that when that water became wine? Did it become wine when they dipped in and as they walked to the master of the banquet? Did the miracle take place when he began to drink it? Do you know the answer? It don't matter. It doesn't matter when it took place. It took place. So you might say, "Well, I believe when the jars were filled, that's what it took." That's fine. Believe it. No problem. Well, I believe as they walked in faith, Hallelujah. Sorry, why did I say that? Walked in faith. Then um, it happened. Then, or when that touched his lips, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not bothered. All I know is crisis over. That which was worthless in water in that sense, water is always precious, particularly in the Middle East, had become the best wine in town. It's interesting to notice how the jars changed their role. When these jars were put there, it was for the ceremonial washing of the Jews, the Jews had to wash, etc. etc. Ceremonial that which was ceremonial, that which was legal, that which was to do with law, was now superseded by wine from God. Now, the Bible tells us simply, Be not drunk with wine, we're in its excess but be filled with the Spirit. On many occasions when the Holy Spirit is likened to wine, you know, it gladdens the heart, etc., etc. And here we have these vessels, these pots that had stood there and Jews had washed themselves thinking, oh, well, I've kept the rules now. I've done the ceremonial washing, you oh, know, very good. But now they'd gone from law to grace. They'd gone from ceremony to, to a miracle, and you know, in our lives, that's what God does when we become Christians. We get so caught up, you know, with doing the right thing, saying the right thing. Well, I will listen, friend. And the title of the sermon is "You Were Meant for Water, Not Wine." Don't get caught up in the religious things. Seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you might endure, enjoy God's fullest blessing. Well, the story continues. I'm watching the time. You've listened ever so well. Did I get it the wrong way round? Would you believe me if I said I did that on purpose to see if you were listening? Do you know, I wondered what you were doing there. I thought you were complaining about my preaching being too long. I'm only joking. (laughs) That as well. (laughs) Thank you, Pastor Colin. I, I feel that was very helpful. And I hope I can return the favour very soon. (laughs) It's good to be on a happy team, you know. It's good to... I may be on the team. I don't know if that's the right word. But it's good. Yes, sorry, I got that the wrong way around. It's my age. It really is my age. um, That I can get things wrong, I'm afraid. Okay, so... um, He drew it out and take it to the master of the banquet. So the master of the banquet tasted it, and it turned out wine. He realized he had not realized where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn out the water knew. Isn't it lovely that the first people that were aware of the miracle—Jesus, of course, was because he performed the miracle—were the servants? It wasn't the well, you know, the the, the master, of the, he wasn't the first because he didn't know where it came from. He had no idea. But the servants knew. Those who did as they were told, those who obeyed Jesus knew where it had come from. We don't know the names. They weren't on the VIP list. They weren't even guests. They were part of the catering team. Do you know, friends, sometimes... You think just well, I'm. I don't get. I don't preach on the platform, and it is an absolute privilege to speak in any church, whatever size it is. It's an absolute honour. But you know, sometimes you say, well, I'm. You know, I'm just behind the scenes. You're not just behind the scenes. You're doing what God's called you to do. You say, well, I'm. I'm a. Don't. I say this regularly. Don't ever say I'm only an usher at the church. We couldn't run this church, particularly during the pandemic, without the team that we have guarding us. I have my temperature taken every time I come. It's brilliant. I think I mentioned this the other week. I went to a church in Birmingham recently to preach, and um, they took my temperature six times. The first two, I was dead. You know, so the, and I think the machine was wrong. Eventually, they got me up to they warmed me up to the right temperature. You know, well, we couldn't manage. You don't just say I'm only an usher. The ushers have kept this building safe that we can meet. I'm only involved in Sunday school. Don't say only. The children are precious to God and to us. Oh, well, I'm only on the catering team. Let me tell you, God bless you. It's not only. And the first people that knew of the miracle, they knew where it had come from, it says, were well, those who did as they were told. Those who filled, oh, dear me, how many of these jars have we got to fill? Right? 150 gallons of it. Well, you think of a gallon can of petrol. You've got an idea. 150 gallons. They were filled. Yet they did the work. They were obedient. They weren't named. They weren't VIPs. But they were the first to recognize it. And please don't sit there at home thinking, well, I don't. I can't get into the building or I can't, you know. Listen, if you're doing what he says, if you're called by him, then you can often be the first person to see the miracle. Almost there. Have I said almost there already? Because if I did, I didn't mean it. Okay. Okay. So let's let's think about some of the applications. Okay. This miracle. Um, the, the master says, of the wedding says, everyone that brings out choice wine first, then cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. The best till now. Every preacher I've ever heard speak on this portion has ended up here, the best till now. It's a call to realise that life has been good so far, but, you know, there's more better to come. We are believing and I believe Scripture encourages to do so, to believe that this church and our churches within our healing movement will be the stronger after the pandemic. I can't say it's going to be larger, but we'll be stronger. Because in this time of testing, we've learned the value of prayer, the value of, of fellowship. We've learned to appreciate one another. And we've learned to value each other. Do you know what? You you've discovered that there are people you miss. And you never know you miss them. But we're believing that we will be back the stronger. And maybe even bigger. I mean, I'm, you know, I believe the stronger, and I'm probably oh, fabulous if when we the lockdown's finished and we can come back, you know, that we'll we'll be packed. Why not? Why not? Why not believe the best is yet? to come. So who knew about this miracle? Jesus, the servants, Mary, the disciples. The wedding party did not. Sometimes miracles are performed and folk don't even know that it's been performed. I am convinced that when I get to heaven and God says, well, how many miracles do you think I did in your life, Gordon? And I'll say three or whatever. He'll say fifty-three because I was a guest at the wedding and I never knew that the wine I was going to drink in the second half of the wedding was miraculous. God's doing things in our lives that we don't know about. They're drawing out wine that you and I will drink and it's the result of a miracle and someone else's prayers. Well, I am going to conclude now. This was the first of the miraculous signs that Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. Thus, he revealed his glory. He revealed his glory as the creator God, the transforming God, the God who took Gordon Neal water and turned him by his grace and his mercy into Gordon Neal wine. Oh, the outside hasn't changed. He still is vulnerable. He still is dependent upon God's grace but the mercy and the grace of God is sufficient. Thus, who revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. I hope that having looked at this scripture, that you might maybe for the first time put your faith in him. And if you want to, and if you would like to know more, visit the Zoom room afterwards. There are people who every week come and, I nearly said Zoom in, that's probably not Zoom in, because they're just waiting to talk to you. You're not going to be an inconvenience. They're there. It'd make their day if you phoned in or came on the Zoom room and said, look, I'd like to know a little bit more. We would love to help you. But Christian friends, whether here or at home, may I say this, that the disciples there put their faith in him. A God who can turn water into wine, the one who can turn ceremony into blessing, is the same one, that can work in our lives, and the end result is that we put our faith in him. One little, short, very short story. When I first became a Christian, um, I wanted to go to an Elam youth camp, but I had a, a part-time job. I was at school, I think, still at school, and I had a part-time job. And I was in the school swimming team. Now, I realized why I was in the school swimming team. It was because they wanted to get me off the premises. Now, it was a ploy, let's get him out of the school because I wasn't the cherub I am now. And I can remember I was in a a, a swimming team, a life-saving team, and I had a partner for this. He'd go out and drown and I'd rescue him, then I'd drown and he'd come and rescue me and all the rest of it. And I remember, and I used to have to tow him quite a while. Hour after hour, it seemed, up and down, getting stronger and ready for competitions. And I said, "Oh, I, I, you know, I need." Uh, I, I said, "I need someone to do my part-time job, um, so I can go to this holiday, this Christian camp." And I'd prayed about it. I said, "Lord, I need someone." I couldn't think of anybody who'd do it. And this chap said, "I'll do it." And I can remember it now. I was so overcome. That my prayer had been answered, I, I dropped him. And he, wh- wh- oh, he wasn't ready for it. He didn't drown, so he could swim. Do you know, sometimes, out of the, the smallest of things, a miracle could take place. And as a teenager, that encouraged me to put my faith in him. So the next time I had a challenge, I remembered that. The next time I had a challenge, I remembered that story. Then I remember the next time God stepped into my life as that we might have more faith in him.